This is a podcast from RNIB's Insight Radio. And it's time to take a look at some of the latest medical news headlines. And I'm joined by pharmacist Elizabeth Roddick, live from the pharmacy. Hi, Elizabeth. (laughs) Hello, Stephen. How are things today? Busy as usual. (laughs) Always busy, always on the go. Now, we've got some news stories to talk about this week, Elizabeth. And the first one was a report that statins could be a miracle cure for blindness. What's the deal here? (laughs) I thought that was an amazing headline, but this was research carried out from Harvard Medical School and the University of Crete. And they were studying the effect of high-dose statins. And, and you remember, these are the medicines that lower cholesterol. And their effect on AMD, age-related macular degeneration, and I know many of you will know um, causes damage to the back of the eye, the macula. And what they did was they took 26 people over 50 years of age and with the dry kind of AMD, and that's the problem, we don't really have anything uh, to treat dry AMD. We have wet uh, AMD treatments, but not dry. And so they were given 80 milligrams of atorvastatin daily for 12 months. And the researchers measured their reading ability every, every six months. Now, out of the 26, 23 remained in the trial, so three dropped out. Three of the participants had some side effects, and that was muscle ache, which can be a problem with statins. Another because of cramps, and the third, they experienced a hair loss, which was not necessarily because of the statin. But but the type of AMD they were trying to improve was where there are large deposits of drusen. Now, these are fatty tissues. And they, all, they don't cause AMD, but their presence increases the risk. So out of 23, 10 had drusen deposits and, and 8, more or less, they actually disappeared, which means there's less risk of AMD. This resulted in some improvement in clarity and vision, but it wasn't significantly better, unlike the headline. But there was, interestingly enough, one 63-year-old uh, who, after six months of atorvastatin, 80 milligrams daily, they improved, he improved his visual clarity by 12 letters. That, that's something you get done in the optometrist when you go along to see them. And the deposits had disappeared and, and he had an almost perfect vision. So, so that was a very interesting part of the study. Now, there were lots of limitations, small numbers, only 43% experienced even slight improvement. But because it needs to be a particular type of AMD uh, without sufficient evidence, it's not advisable to take statins for dry AMD at this stage. But, however, if they can do large numbers of trials and produce the evidence, then maybe in the future some of you might be taking a statin, which will be prescribed for that use. But right now it's probably too early to say, uh, Stephen, about whether it works. So there's some hope there in, uh, in one person in particular there was a significant improvement, but to call it a miracle cure for blindness is a bit much. Yeah, I think that that headline is slightly misleading. Yeah, as we often find in some of these uh, news headlines, Elizabeth, don't we? It's always really to be taken with a pinch of salt. Yeah, I, th- I think you need to be careful because a lot of people where there is a problem, say, with, with a medicine and it's in the headlines, some people stop their medication, and which clearly isn't correct. You need to, to get advice, whether it's from your pharmacist or doctor. But sometimes, as I say, they're very misleading, some of the headlines, and some of them are very worrying as well. OK, our next headline was that exercise in middle age stops your brain shrinking. Now, that sounds like that can only be a good thing, but is that true? <laughs> 
researchers in the USA, they, they looked at a large group of people an average age of 40 years and tested their fitness on a treadmill and they exercised them to 85% of their maximum heart rate. And they were, what they were doing is they were calculating people's total exercise capacity. And of course, you do in these, these sort of trials, you adjust for age, sex, whether they smoked, had diabetes, were taking blood pressure medication, and funnily enough, whether they had the gene linked to Alzheimer's, which again, they checked. And what they found was that people who had 20% lower fitness levels had smaller brain volumes in later life. And also those with higher heart rates and blood pressure, in other words, less fit while exercising, they also had smaller brain volumes. Now, there was no link between lower exercise capacity in midlife and, and any reduction in thinking ability, which is, of course, the thing we want to try and keep sharp as, as we get older. So the researchers found that those who had lower blood pressure performed well on the fitness test at age 40, and they had bigger brains at 60. And it didn't, however, improve brain power. But, of course, the message is please exercise if you can at any age. And some of the challenges I'm hearing about just now are walking 10,000 steps a day. You can get a little device which you wear on your wrist. And I was just Googling just to see if, yes, there are talking pedometers available. You probably know that yourself, Steve. Yeah, there's quite a range of wearable devices these days that are very effective in calculating how much exercise and effort people put into their daily routines. So there's a whole host of uh, wearable devices that can do that. I think the message is just to try and get out, do some walking, and if that stimulates you to count your steps, then then why not use it? Yeah, and I know, Elizabeth, that um, taxi drivers in London who do the knowledge, who learn about the the routes and streets of London, it's a very complicated uh, process, but they actually change their brain. They actually change uh, one part of their brain in particular. It gets a lot thicker, and there's been some studies that showed this. So maybe the things that we do actually change the shape of our brains, so exercise may actually be helping keep our brains bigger. If you look at somebody who's had a stroke, one of the first things they, they get is it's particular physiotherapy to start stimulating the brain. Possibly they've lost uh, the ability to use their arm or their hand or maybe even their speech. And immediately, as soon as they start exercising, it can come back and it can come back quite quickly. And that's obviously, if you like, the, the brain rerouting in order to stimulate uh, different nerves and fibres in the brain. And so we know that it works. So I think everybody should learn from that. You know, keep, yeah. keep moving if you can. We need to appreciate our brains. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's an amazing instrument, it really is. Now, another worrying headline said that iron tablets taken by millions of people could damage the body within just 10 minutes. Yeah, again, a very worrying headline. And this was a London-based study. And the first thing to say, I think, to everybody out there, it was a laboratory study looking at the effect of iron on human cells that, that line the blood vessels. And, uh, and they are studying what happens in a Petri dish in the laboratory that's called in vitro. You just can't transfer that without question to what happens in the human body. And I think, as I say, 
the headline is worrying, and, and that's when we look at the human body, that's a called an in vivo uh, experiment. Now, the researchers suggested they, they used a low dose of iron, about 10 microvolts per litre of iron. But one expert, Susan Fairweather-Tate, suggested that the concentration they were using in the lab was much higher than if you were just taking an ordinary iron tablet prescribed by your doctor. And also the type of iron used was not equivalent. So the cells in the lab exposed to the iron seemed to experience DNA damage. But because the research is a very early stage, the headline in the papers is just not correct. I mean, even if the cell proved to be affected by the iron, which we're not sure about in that experiment, the body's DNA, what, what happens is it then sets to repair itself, so the cell may still be fine. So the message is the benefit of taking iron tablets for a variety of conditions. I mean, that far outweighs any worries about this research. So please keep taking your iron tablets. <laughs> Why would someone be taking iron, Elizabeth? What kind of things in particular would they be affected by? Well, if you take someone, for example, sometimes through pregnancy, um, women quite often take iron, usually prescribed by their doctor. Uh, also, somebody, say, in celiac disease, what happens is they can lose uh, iron through, uh, really through diarrhea, through through the bowel, and it can be actually quite serious. And that's one of the side effects, like fatigue, when when you're worrying about what's happening with your tummy and things are perhaps not going correctly. And so, iron is is replaced, and it's very very important that that we do that. There are lots of different conditions where you have a. a you're low in iron and, and really if you think about it there might even be a bleed in, inside your body somewhere particularly uh, for example in the stomach you know if you're losing iron even a small amount of iron it can affect you very badly so another concerning headline but again one that uh, people should see their gp or pharmacist about before making any decisions Yes, I mean, there's absolutely no way anyone should stop taking their iron tablets. If you do experience side effects, then clearly you can speak to the pharmacist or doctor. There are certain different preparations on the market where you can perhaps experience less side effects with iron because it is, it's quite hard in the tummy, let's say. People have diarrhea and constipation and sometimes just using a different product can help. Okay, our final headline for today Scientists say they have cracked what makes processed foods harmful. Yes, <laughs> researchers from the University of Leicester, they studied 11 healthy men with an average age of 38, and they were looking at how much of their food was high in PAMPs. Now, this is a long-winded name. It's pathogen-associated molecular patterns. And what happens with these PAMPs is they think it causes inflammation in the body. And we know that inflammation in turn causes disease, for example, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes. So the first thing they did was put the men on a low PAMP diet. And examples of that are probably, you've guessed it, fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, fish, unminced meats, they, they also did. And what they wanted to check was when, when the men went from a low PAMP diet to a high one, you know, it's called junk foods, if you like, their biomarker levels of disease increased. So the men on a low PAMP diet had lower signs of inflammation. I'm saying that's signs of disease, white blood cell count reduced. Uh, and uh, when 
when what happens is if your white blood cell count goes up, that means you're fighting infection. Now, their cholesterol reduced, they managed to lose weight, and of course, the circumference of the waist went down, and that's a good measurement of risk of diabetes. And on the high pamp diet, the white blood cell count went back up from 14%, and, uh, and men 1.2 centimetres onto their waist measurement, which is really not good. So I'm afraid that the study doesn't really prove that the high pamp diet affects and causes risk of health, but what we do know is that processed food contains lots of salt, sugar, fats, and compared with fresh lean food, so naturally they cause increased weight, increased risk of heart disease and diabetes. So I think they jumped on the word junk food, but I think we know that all processed food has more of these types of things, the salt, sugar and fats, which can cause problems with increased weight. Yeah, it always really comes back to the same kind of thing, doesn't it, Elizabeth? Taking control of what you put into your body, getting some exercise. And I guess the more you cook from scratch and use healthy ingredients, then the better you will be. I think also the nutrient value of a fresh food meal is way above some of these processed foods. And and sometimes when you're craving more of these junk foods, it's because your body is not getting the nutrients it needs. So if you give it its nutrients, as you say, uh, Stephen, in terms of, of natural food, good food, then what happens is the cravings go down. So it's a bit of a vicious circle if you go down the junk food avenue. And you never really know what's in your food if it's been made by someone else I suppose don't you but if you make it yourself then you've got total control. Yeah I think we just need to get some time back in our lives. <laughs> yeah that's the problem that's that's a big problem really though isn't it that's the the thing that gets everyone not having enough time but we have to make it at some point. I think it's certainly worthwhile for your health. Absolutely. Elizabeth, many thanks for today and some great advice. If anyone would like to get in touch with you or find out more about what you do how can they? Well, the website's www.newlifepharmacy.co.uk. Elizabeth Roddick, many thanks once again, and we'll speak to you again soon on The Morning Mix. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from RNIB's Insight Radio. For more podcasts, check out insightradio.co.uk.